Jew, Gentile, who is saved and who is God's favorite anyway? As if we've got a favorite child. Join us, Abounding Grace, Pastor Gary Wagner, coming up next. So who is it that has captivated God's eye, God's heart? The Jews or the Gentiles? Or is there somewhere else in between that we need to be thinking about? Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose will take us back to Romans chapter 11 today, verses 25 through 36. Now, throughout the book of Romans, Paul has been dealing with the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles and how God has dealt with them. And at the end, Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. So what does he mean by that? We're exploring that today on Abounding Grace. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's message. All Israel shall be saved. This letter to the Romans that we've been studying for quite some time now, in fact, I think today is like the 76th sermon or whatever on Romans. Anyway, it's filled with wonders And yet these verses, 25 through 32, have a rather unique way of taking my breath away as I've pondered upon them. They completely rebuke my despair at times when I see so many perishing. The way we tend to put people in a box, we think, you can't save them. They're beyond God. She's gone too far. He's gone too far. Those people, there is no way God could have anything to do with them any longer. But then God comes and he reveals his mercy and he shatters our boxes. The plan he has is absolutely amazing. We've already seen the basic outline in verses 25 through 32. It is a review with some scriptural confirmation. The Jews were God's people, but they rejected the Messiah. And in rejecting the Messiah, God opened the door for the Gentiles to be saved. And there is going to be a mighty, glorious harvest of the Gentile nations. We've seen a little bit of that up until now, and we're going to see a lot more. Yet the Jews' rejection is not the final chapter in their story. Because they are going to be provoked to jealousy. They are going to see the Gentiles enjoying the blessings of the covenant that was for them. It should be theirs to enjoy, but they rejected it. And they are going to be provoked to seek God's mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that way, both Jew and Gentile are going to be gathered together into one flock. There will be one fold and there will be one shepherd. Let us, brothers and sisters, never put God in a box. Let us never think that, well, we've got the perfect reading of history. We know what's going on. No, we must go to God's word. It seems in many respects like there's no way 
this can happen. So again, we have to put our hand over our mouths and say, may the Lord be true and every man a liar. God's purpose is to save the nations. He has given them to his son as his son's inheritance. The Lord Jesus Christ, he will have those nations. First, we see there's a mystery here. Verse 25. Whenever Paul, by the way, uses the phrase, I would not have you ignorant, something important always happens. He always then has something important to tell us. In chapter 1, verse 13 of Romans, that's where he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he goes on to talk about the gospel power being that of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1, he uses the phrase again, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about how all our fathers passed under the sea. And then he goes on to show that in the Old Testament, the hope was Christ, just like in the New Testament. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And he goes on to tell them about the spiritual gifts and their proper use and their abuse in their congregation. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he talks about a trumpet that he is about to blow and clouds being opened and the Lord descending and those who were dead being raised and those who were alive and remained being caught up together with the Lord. So this is important, he says. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mercy. Now the word mercy, don't think of your favorite novels. Don't think of what's going on in Washington, D.C. And don't think about the Hardy Boys. Whenever Paul uses the word mystery, it always means something that is very simple but profound. A truth that we could have never known unless God actually showed it to us. And he uses the word mystery throughout his letters. Now, the mystery is what he's already told us. And that is how the Jews have been rejected and how the Gentiles have now been brought into the covenant. And then how the Jews are going to be brought back into, excuse me, the covenant. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to forget it. I don't want you to forget this monumental declaration of what God has determined to do to save both Jew and Gentile. This mystery should capture our imagination for what God has done, is doing, and what promises he will do for us yet. We need to be praying. We need to be working, giving for the salvation of the world through the gospel. Now in verse 25, he adds, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Because one of the Holy Spirit's main concerns throughout this entire chapter is don't be prideful, Gentiles. 
That is what killed the Jews. That is what led them to being cut off, at least for the time being, as if their privileges were turned into presumptions and grace was turned into license. There was no humility. There was no trembling before God's mercy. And he says, if God could warm our fickled hearts 10,000 times a day, it would not be too much. When God gives, gives us grace, we should be humble, beloved. When God saves us who are undeserving, we should bow before his mercy and recognize if I have anything good, it is because he did it. It is because he gave it. I have nothing good in me. You have nothing good in you. It is because he did it. It is because he gave it. I have nothing in myself. There's no goodness in me. It was all the undeserved kindness of our great God. So Paul says, don't be wise in your own conceits. Don't be high-minded. Don't think that just because God rejected the Jews so that I could be brought in, there must be something good in me. No, you and I are dung. We are worms. It is God's grace alone that makes men good. Now, how should we take this phrase in verse 25? The blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. First notice, blindness in part. Probably here the phrase means for the time being. It could also be a tip of the cap back to the fact that not everyone in Israel was of Israel, even in Paul's day. They were blind because there was an elect remnant that was mentioned earlier in the chapter. Paul was part of that remnant. And he said blindness is for a time. Blindness is at this point fallen on the Jews, but it's not total, nor is it final. It's going to last until, Scripture says, the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Now, there are those who take this phrase to be a little more than a declaration of the full tally, the full number of all the Gentiles that are going to be saved. And this is another way of saying when everyone whom God intends to save is saved. But the problem is, this would hardly require a mystery to make it known to us. And nor is it consistent with the comparison made throughout this whole section. We need to see fullness as referring to an innumerable multitude without defining the actual number or trying to make it mean that every single Gentile will be saved. Remember, the mystery is not that God casts away just a few Jews, but he casts away, it says, the vast majority. 
the mystery of the Gentiles and their inclusion is not that God just saves a few scattered souls here and there, but he's going to save an enormous multitude that no man can number, Scripture says. So it's not just here a big number, but relatively small in comparison to the majority. Some people think that, well, yeah, there are a lot of people who are Christians, so we've got the fullness of the Gentiles now, right? But in comparison to the whole, no, it's not even going to be close to break even. It's clearly not going to be the majority. We're going to run into this issue again in verse 26 when he says, all Israel will be saved. Paul's very concerned with numbers here. So when we read verse 26 in a minute, it certainly doesn't indicate that every single Jew will be saved, but the number must be commensurate. It must be consistent with the vast majority that had been cast away. Or this could all be cast over very quickly simply by saying, God will save the Jews and the Gentiles in mass. This is the fullness of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, fullness means that the conversion of the Gentiles, and listen closely, will be innumerable in its vastness, and it will be comprehensive in its effects. Not just a little private life of the soul, but the fullness of the Gentiles as nations will be brought in, and it will be so glorious in its effects and in its realization that it is worthy of the mercy of God and of the great pains he has taken throughout this chapter to reveal it to us, to arrest our attention with his purposes and his power through history. In other words, God has sent forth his gospel to us in order to save a multitude that no man can number. Now we've already got about a billion people in the world today who do confess Christ. So we have some indication that fullness is quite large without the exact number. But please understand, more gospel glory is coming, my friends. It must be coming because all Israel has not yet been saved. So there is more fullness to come. But how is God going to accomplish this fullness? Through the preaching of the gospel. For it is the power of God we read unto salvation. The preaching of the gospel is the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth and devours. Revelation 1.16 and Revelation 19.15. You need to remember something about the nations. With all of our so-called understanding about conspiracies and globalism and the Bilderberger Group and the CFR and everything else we know is going on, please remember, the nations still belong to Jesus Christ. 
The Father has promised the nations to him. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn unto the Lord. And you are already a part of that. We tend to think the United States, boy, this is the center of the world. Baloney. When this was written, and as God's prophets go forward, we were the hinterlands of barbarism and darkness. And yet the gospel has made tremendous roads here. Are you daily praying for more men to flock to the banner of our Savior? Let me encourage you, young people. If you want God to radically change your life, then every time you start thinking about yourself, every time you start thinking, what should I listen to now? What can I think about now? Just think, wait a minute. God is doing this great work. He's promised to bring in this incredible abundance of salvation. Let me pray. Lord, bring more people to your banner today. Lord, give me an opportunity to speak to just one person about Christ within the sphere of my relationships. Help me to make some money today so that I can give a little bit to the spread of the gospel for the support of missionaries around the world. Lord, oh, help us to grow in holiness. You see, holiness always burns itself out. We could have 10 sermons on personal holiness and every one of us can get all riled up about needing to be holy and I need to be this and and I need to be that. But we need to remember holiness doesn't have an inner reference to me so that I can feel better about my piety. Holiness has a God reference so that I can enjoy him and walk with him. And so that my words and my life will contribute to this fullness that grows over the course of history for the Gentiles. Perhaps each one of us should ask ourselves, am I a part of that fullness? Because, beloved, this is where history is going. History is not going according to the word of God to where there is just me and my family And we are the only ones left on the mountain or maybe our little congregation or our little group of churches. But everyone else is in the dark and we're just huddled around and we're all good. And we've got all the answers and those poor fools out there, they won't come and listen to us. But if they only would, they would be as smart as we are. That is not where history is going. History is going to the fullness of the Gentiles. We've been watching this now for 2,000 years. And there is more fullness coming. There is life from the dead coming. The salvation of the Jews is coming. And then the world will experience life from the dead. So ask yourself, am I a part of that? Are we a part of that? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? 
Have you laid down your animosity? Have you confessed his name? Have you said, Lord, you are my only righteousness. Your blood is my only cleansing. And your word is my only guide. I just want you. I confess that you are the son of God and savior of sinners. Oh, save me. Because my friends, if you don't, you are not part of the fullness. And you are in the desert. You are in the waste bin of history. And then, am I contributing to that fullness? Fathers, are you training your children to love God and to keep his word? Remember how God commended Abraham because he taught his children God's statutes. And that was before there was even any written word. Why is it that I'm training my children and setting an example? Because even though this is a very limited sphere and it's hard work, and I get tired of preparing and doing all the, my other chores. It is part of the fullness that I am called to. This is the way the kingdom grows. This is the way of God that he intends to do this growing. Think about this. Fullness of the Gentiles. It's a glorious coming. So let us not retard the glory by our unbelief or our small belief, or by our coldness of heart, or by our pride, or by our self-focused life. Let us see what God is doing and what he intends to do. But that's not everything. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. This, of course, points back earlier in the chapter to verses 11 and 12. That God is going to bring them back. If the fall of them by the riches of the world and the diminishing loss of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. In God's incredible promise, he has joined the Gentiles' fullness to Israel's salvation. Perhaps hearkening back to the original unity of the human race. God intends to restore his ancient people, even as he intends to save the Gentiles. A rather remarkable development for the Gentiles. Remarkable because the Jews looked down their noses at us. We were dogs, unworthy of their consideration even. Please understand this conversion. The salvation of Israel is not going to be brought about by Christians in some silly way, trying to find bridges between Judaism and Christianity. There are none. There is no bridge between idolatry and light. It's not going to be found by Christians wanting to go to the ceremonies or the feasts. So that I can learn about the Jewish traditions. No, that's not going to help anything. It's not going to help the salvation of the Jews. And it will not be hastened by Christians pretending to the Jews that you are still God's chosen people. And you deserve Palestine and nuclear weapons and all of these things. 
That doesn't help them at all. What will help is the belief, the humility, and the preaching of the Gentiles. Because as the fullness of the Gentiles come in through this way, all Israel will be saved. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.